0: All right. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 15 of my podcast. Let me take you on a psychology adventure. And in today's episode, we're talking about a very spicy topic about the nine archetypes of seduction, as described in Robert Greene's book, The Art of Seduction. So in this episode, we're going to talk about some maybe a bit dark and toxic traits of seduction. Most of the things in here that he describes in this book are not necessarily healthy, but these are mind games that people play in our everyday life, and it's very good to be aware of them. So a person of power knows, has this knowledge, and is is thus not manipulated by these things. So... Through the wisdom of Robert Greene, there are nine archetypes of people that spark our interest and our fantasies. And we may have attraction to multiple people, to multiple archetypes. But as we go through the following, you may find one that really sticks out and defines all of your past relationships, for instance. As well, the following are also descriptors for who we are as lovers ourselves. The way we attract people can be defined through the following types. You may show signs of multiple types But again, you'll find one that sticks out and you'll say, wow, this is me. So the first archetype is the charmer. So the world has many self-absorbed people. You know that already. When we are with them, we know that the conversation must be about them, their insecurities, their neediness and hunger for attention. This makes us close ourselves up and become egocentric. Charmers disarm us because they don't talk about themselves, which makes them more mysterious. And since they are interested in us, we relax and open up to them. Finally, they're pleasing to be around. They don't have the ugly qualities that most people have. Nagging, complaining, self-absorption... Inevitably, we become addicted to them because they validate us. We become dependent on them. And dependence is the source of the charmer's power. The charmer is a type that plays on people's vanity and insecurity to gain their affection. Dip down, we're all narcissists and we love to talk about themselves. We love when other people see us for who we truly are and see our qualities. The best way to summarize this is to think of Benjamin Disraeli. Uh, as one of as one English princess remarked, um, this is a quote from a book. When I left the dining room, after sitting next to Mr. Gladstone, I thought he was the cleverest man in England. But after sitting next to Mr. Disraeli, I thought I was the cleverest woman in England. Disraeli said, Talk to a man about himself and he will listen for hours. Disraeli knew how to make people feel good about themselves. He understood that arguing, fighting, complaining are not seductive qualities. They will not make you popular. But if you are indulgent, calm and outwardly focused, then people will let themselves be influenced by you. They will put their guards down. We often mirror how others treat us. If someone is defensive or argumentative with us, we will respond in the same way. Don't mistake people's exterior for reality. Often, they're simply reflecting the people they spend most of their time with. A tough exterior may hide a person dying for warmth. A repressed, sober-looking type may actually be struggling to conceal uncontrollable emotions. That is the key to charm, feeding what has been repressed or denied. The charmer talks about the target, makes them feel special, confident, brings up the qualities they repress. For example, if you know that a woman, let's say, you're talking to is a very powerful businesswoman... Emphasize her sensuality, her charm. If the woman is very submissive and obedient, emphasize her power, her intelligence, her independence. When making compliments, don't talk about the obvious, but rather about the subtle qualities of the person that are not easily seen by others. Now, the second type is the charismatic. The charismatic seducer is... Is the type that enters a room and steals all the attention. It is not always obvious what makes them charismatic. It could be the smoothness of their language, their voice, their self-confidence, the fire in their eyes. But it is always natural. It's like a gift from God. Something outside their control. People crave a religious or spiritual experience. And the charismatic seduces them by providing it. If you act like you know where you're going, people will follow you. It doesn't matter what the plan is or which direction you're going. What's important is the strength of your conviction. Show people that you will not waver from your vision and they will follow. People will think that your confidence must rest in solid foundations. Even if it's not the case. Purpose is more charismatic when times are bad also. Most people hesitate before taking bold action. And in this case, it is your single minded self assurance that will drive you forward. The force of your character will compel people to believe in you. Mystery is another component to charisma, but a particular kind of mystery one that is expressed by contradiction. So the charismatic may be both um, proletarian, for instance, and aristocratic, or both cruel and kind, both excitable and detached, both intimate and distant, like Sigmund Freud, for instance. Since most people are predictable, the effect of the contradiction of this contrast is devastatingly charismatic. There is also theatrality theatricality or the ability to exude a larger-than-life presence like an actor. Actors have studied this kind of presence for centuries. They know how to stand on a crowded stage and command attention. Surprisingly, it is not the actor who screams the loudest or gestures most widely who works his magic best but the actor who stays calm, radiating self-assurance. The effect is ruined by trying too hard. It is essential to be self-aware, to have the ability to see yourselves as others see you. The charismatic is attractive because she or he is not repressed like most people. Instead, he's familiar with his unconscious and knows how to allow others to project onto him their secret fantasies and longings. You'll first have to show that you're less inhibited than your audience or the people around you, that you radiate a dangerous sexuality, have no fear of death, are delightfully spontaneous, Even a hint of these qualities will make people think you are way more powerful than you actually are. These skills and others are acquirable through practice. For instance, Napoleon spent hours in front of a mirror modeling his gaze on that of the greater contemporary actor, Talma. So this was the second archetype. The third archetype is the star the star is the most powerful character type because they appeal to all groups of people they are beyond race religion class or politics we're naturally drawn to the mythical mythic stars represent mythological figures in real life they adopt a distinctive style they're calm and attractive then they embody a more specific archetype for instance the rebel or the wise patriarch or the adventurer seduction is a form of persuasion that appeals to the unconscious we are usually bombarded with stimuli that compete for our attention we're manipulated by the over, of, overtly political but we are not we're rarely deceived by them We have grown tired and cynical of these types. If you try to make more appeals to people's consciousness, they will ignore you. You are just another distraction. To avoid this, learn the art of insinuation or planting seeds into people's minds. This involves communicating with their unconscious mind. Appeal to people by resembling their dreams. The fourth archetype is the coquette. The ultimate art in seduction is delaying pleasure. Coquettes are masters at waiting, orchestrating constant movement between hope and frustration, hot and cold. They bait with the promise of reward. It could be physical pleasure, happiness, power, but since it is elusive it will make the target pursue it more intensely coquettes seem self sufficient they don't need you and this narcissism is devilishly attractive you want to conquer them but it is they who hold the cards actually so josephine for instance was the coquette in the in her relationship with napoleon the French general, despite his restraint and discipline, was maddened by her behavior. A few threat, a few theatrical gestures, a little coldness was enough on her part to make Napoleon her eternal slave. For instance, his last word on his deathbed was "Josephine." People are perverse, and easy conquest is not as valuable as a difficult one. We only want what we cannot fully possess. Think about it. You cannot desire something that you already have. It must be a little bit out of your reach, always. Your greatest seductive power is your ability to turn away. Most people do the opposite. They surrender too soon, worried that the other person will lose interest or that giving the other person what they want will grant them power over them. The truth is that when you satisfy someone, you lose the initiative. Now you're vulnerable and they may lose interest at any moment. Vanity is actually critical in seduction. Get them to feel insecure about themselves and then when they have lost hope, reignite it. This is hot and cold approach. This approach enslaves them. Don't be put off by their anger, because this is a good sign, actually. Cold coquettes create space by remaining elusive and making others pursue them. Their coolness suggests a comfortable confidence that is exciting to be around, even though it may not actually exist. Their silence makes you want to talk. Their self-containment, their appearance of having no need for other people... Only makes us want to do things, makes us want to do things for them, hungry for the slightest sign of recognition and favor. The world is full of people who try to impose themselves too aggressively, who try too hard, but their victories are temporary. People figure out them, figure them out too easily. Without space around them, there can be no seduction. So for someone to actually fall in love with you, you need to take some distance from them. Because people fall in love through their imagination. This is a bit fucked up if you think about it. But only if you create this distance between you and another person, they will think about you, they will fantasize about you, and they will project all their fantasies on you. And this is how they actually fall in love. To understand the power of the coquette, you must understand narcissism. Freud described the narcissistic woman as someone who is obsessed with her, with her appearances. Children, for instance, before they are socialized and taught to think about others and to care about others, are this way. Children are extremely narcissistic, self-contained and self-involved. Everyone secretly desires for those blissful early days. The narcissistic woman makes the man envious because she reminds him of that period. And the same happens for men as well. This will push him to contact her in the hope of recapturing that feeling. So also in talk, this happens a lot in toxic relationships. So, be, keep in mind that right now we're talking, about, we're talking about the darker side of seduction and how to mostly protect yourself. So in toxic relationships, there is usually an avoided attachment style person and an anxious attachment style person. So the coquette is obviously the avoidant one. So when someone is chasing, the other one is running away. And when the other one is coming towards the other person, they are now running away. The fifth archetype of seduction is the natural. We think of childhood as a golden paradise, and we consciously or unconsciously try to recreate it. The natural embodies the lost qualities of the child. Spontaneity, sincerity, unpredictableness, unpretentiousness. We feel at ease in their presence hypnotized by their playfulness, we want to protect them and help them. Much about them is natural, but some aspects are exaggerated. A conscious attempt to seduce, for instance. Spoiled children have a bad reputation, but it is undeserved. Those who were spoiled with material things are annoying, but those who were spoiled with affection know that they are deeply seductive. This becomes an advantage when they are adults. Freud said, for instance, that spoiled children have a confidence that stays with them all their lives. And, again, spoiled with love, not with things. This quality radiates outwards and attracts other people to them. This, in turn, gives them more affection. They are more spoiled. Their natural energy and buoyant spirit were never tamed by a disciplining parent. They become bold adventurers as adults and shamelessly so. People attracted to those who expect, are attracted to those who expect a lot out of life, and they are repulsed by those who are fearful and undemanding that have low standards. Wild independence has a provocative effect on us. It appeals to us. While also presenting us with a challenge, we want to be the one to tame it, to make the spirited person dependent on us. Half of seduction is stirring such competitive desires. Josephine Baker couldn't stand being helpless. Her... Unpromising circumstances were difficult to overcome. Some young girls pinned their hopes on a future husband. But to Josephine, which is an actress, by the way, Josephine's father left her mother soon after she was born. She saw marriage as something she didn't want to be part of. So her solution was something children often do, which is to create a magical environment, a world of their own. So she created a world of her own and chose to ignore the ugliness around her. Let others wail and moan. She would fill her life with dancing, clowning, acting. She would dream of great things and remain confident and self-reliant. Most people who met her commented on how seductive this quality was. Her refusal to compromise... Or to be what she was expected to be made everything she did seem authentic and natural. Children love to play their own self contain to play in their own own self contained world. They are hopelessly charming when they do so. Adult naturals do something similarly, um, especially if they're artists. They create their fantasy world and live in it. This fantasy world it's much more pleasant than reality, and since most people are afraid of creating such world, they enjoy being around them and being around people that do so. The more absorbed you are in this world, the more seductive you become. Society can only tolerate a few naturals, too many, and the charm would wear off. It is Usually only artists or people with a lot of free time that can afford to go all the way in this type of archetype. The sixth archetype of the nine is the dandy. The world traps us into roles that we must play. Those who are more fluid and ambiguous, who create their own persona, excite us. Um, these are known as, these people are known as the dandies. They excite us because they can't be categorized. They, they dance between masculinity and femininity. They are mysterious and elusive and are artful in evoking repressed desires. So there is a feminine dandy and a masculine dandy. The feminine dandy is the man. Do not think that the devastatingly masculine is what is most seductive. The feminine dandy is more sinister. He lures women with what she wants, which is a familiar, pleasing, graceful presence. Mirroring feminine psychology, he displays attention to his appearance, sensitivity to detail a slight coquettishness, but also a hint of male cruelty. Women are narcissists, in love with their own charms and their own sex. By showing them feminine charm, a man can mesmerize and disarm them, leaving them vulnerable to a bold masculine move. Now, the feminine dandy can seduce on a mass scale. No single woman really... Uh, possesses him. He is too elusive, but all can fantasize about doing so. The key is ambiguity, Your sexuality is decidedly heterosexual, but your body and psychology flow delightfully back and forth between the two poles. For instance, you can be an extremely masculine man, but have certain artistic qualities about yourself. Or nowadays, there are a lot of actors or singers that dress in a more feminine way, but act in a masculine way. These are the dandies. The masculine dandies, which are the women, Um, have another, have a similar approach. So Nietzsche fell in love with Salome, an intellectual woman who spoke about uh, philosophy and traditionally masculine disciplines. This fascinated men, Nietzsche including. The famous philosopher was rejected when he proposed to her. Ironically, Nietzsche, who stood for the Superman ideal, the transcending of ethical norms, appeared to be um, conventional in the end, while Salome was truly different and did not care for societal, societal norms, social convictions. She was known as the woman who broke Nietzsche's heart. The masculine dandy succeeds by Reversing the normal pattern of male superiority in matters of love and seduction, a man's apparent independence, his capacity for detachment, often seem to give him the upper hand in the dynamic between the man and the woman and the woman. A purely feminine woman will arouse desire but is always vulnerable to the man's uh, capricious loss of interest. A purely masculine woman, on the other hand, will not arouse that interest at all. Follow the path of the masculine dandy, however, and you'll neutralize all men's powers. Never give completely of yourself. While you are passionate and sexual, always retain an air of independence and self-possession. You might move on to the next man, or so he thinks. You have other, more important matters to concern yourself with, such as your work. Men do not know how to fight women who use their own weapons against them. They are intrigued, aroused, and disarmed. Few men can resist the taboo pleasures offered up to them by the masculine dandy. Freud thought that the human libido is essentially bisexual. Most people are in some way attracted to people of the same sex, but social constraints repress these impulses, the varying degrees depending on the culture and historical period. What is most seductive is often what is most repressed. Learn a playful dandism and you will become the magnet of For people's dark, unrealized desires, the key is to be ambiguous. Society wants everyone to play an obvious role, but if you you refuse to conform, you will excite interest. Be both masculine and feminine, indulgent, um, impudent, and charming; subtle and outrageous. Let others worry about being socially acceptable. Those types are a dime or a dime a dozen and you are often a power. You have a greater power if you play the dandy role, if you are more flexible. The seventh archetype is the ideal lover. Most people have broken dreams, ideas about people or reality that they had in their youth that could not be satisfied. Ideal lovers strive on people's broken dreams. If you seek romance or adventure, the ideal lover will be there to reflect your fantasy. Casanova might be the most successful seducer in history. Few women could resist him. He had a simple method. He studied the woman um, he was after, went along with her moods, figured out what she was missing, and provided it. The bored wife that needed adventure and romance needed someone to sacrifice her time and comfort her. The eighth archetype is the siren, and this applies to women especially. Then the ninth archetype will be the rake, and this applies to men. So these are kind of like opposites. So the siren is the first archetype, was the first type of seducer. In history, we can see her personif- uh, personified in figures such as Marilyn Monroe and Cleopatra. The siren is sexual. She is not afraid of presenting an exaggerated feminine appearance through the way she dresses and the makeup she wears. Her voice sounds like she's in a process of waking up from a deeper sleep. She sometimes has a playful voice, but it is never aggressive or high-pitched. The siren knows how to play on the heartstrings of men, especially the intellectuals or, you know, soldier types of men. Men who are serious, disciplined, and rational. These men are desperate for a hint of adventure, of danger in their lives. And the siren, with her irrationality, uh, is the perfect ingredient. These men uh, are given the impression that they are protecting the siren from her own irrationality, but she is actually the one in charge. Many men have destroyed themselves because of the siren. Her main strength is in knowing how to keep an appropriate distance between her and the men, maintaining the same level of intrigue and wonder. The man must never get too close and see the person behind the siren. Instead, he is constantly thrown off guard by her threat, theatrics and changing faces. But she keeps her integrity this way. The elusive chase is what keeps men interested in her. Now, the last archetype is the rake, which is the masculine version of the siren. In the same way that the siren fulfills the male desires to forget about his social responsibilities, the rake does that for women, does the same for women. His first weapon is language. Uh, I forgot to mention that for siren, her weapon is the visual, while for men is the auditory, the language. The rake knows how to use the words to seduce to flatter to hypnotize to insinuate he has a demonic command of language like the serpent that led eve into the temptation in the garden of eden in the same way that the rake is promiscuous with his words he's promiscuous with women he's archetypically known as don juan A man who falls deeply with the women he comes across. Becomes completely absorbed by the moment and deeply sensual. He provokes uh, in her the desires she so strongly represses. Each woman feels for a moment that she is his most prized possession. This is contrary to the boring husband who thinks that traditionally, of course, women are spiritual and men are pigs. So this is like the traditional view. The rake is dishonest and disloyal. He has no interest in marriage, and yet he is co- conve- um, coveted or veiled by many women, chased by any many women. But he offers women something that is taboo, that is difficult to find, an experience of pure pleasure, a brush with danger, and a way out of her oppression. Marriage and rigid social structures fix women into boring routines and a life with a mate who is constantly distracted. Women are not tender creatures. Like men, they are deeply attracted to what is dangerous and forbidden. The word rake comes from rake hell, a man who rakes the coals of hell. There is a devilish component. And this is an important part of the fantasy. To play the rake, you must have the ability to let go and indulge in a purely sensual moment where the past and the future don't exist. The rake is an extreme personality, impudent, sarcastic, and bitingly witty. He cares nothing for what anyone thinks. Paradoxically, this, is, this only makes him more seductive. Another seductive quality the rake has, it's his ability to make women want to reform him. How many thought they would be the one to tame Lord Byron? How many of Picasso's women thought they would finally be the one with whom he would spend the rest of his life with? The the rake is relentlessly devoted to pleasure. This may seem weak, but this makes them exciting, um, an exciting company. Their dis- disdain for convention and a rebellious strike makes them seem dangerous. But the danger is hidden beneath a veil of politeness, while letting it be known that you are up to what you are up to behind the scenes. For instance, Duke de Richelieu Made his conquest as public as possible, is exciting other women's competitive desire to join the club of the seduced. So, a seductive approach or um, quality that rake has is creating these love triangles, making himself seen as an object of desire. So when people see that you're surrounded by many people that like you, we, you become way more desirable. So these were the nine archetypes of seduction. Thank you for listening to this episode. This is the end. If you have any questions, I will hang around for a bit. If not, you can also DM me on Instagram or here. Here on this app, I answer to all of my DMs, but you you can also do that on Instagram. Or tell me any future suggestions for the next podcast. If not, thank you for listening to this whole episode. And I will see you next week with another exciting episode. See you soon. Bye.